You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. We're in the final section of this great book that Peter wrote to elect exiles to give them encouragement and hope. Christians who are scattered throughout the world in a world that did not like them or appreciate them. Last time we began this last section of the letter and towards the end of chapter 4. And there he encouraged the church, reminding them that, that trials and tribulations will come your way. But even in the midst of that, they ought to rejoice when they suffer for Christ's sake. And today he turns his attention to the leaders of the church, to the elders. So let us now read these first four verses of chapter 5 as our text this evening. So hear now the word of the Lord, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow, fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Well, today, October 31st, many commemorate the day that Martin Luther first took a stand against the Roman Catholic Church in what would later be called the Protestant Reformation. He hung 95 theses, these 95 points of disputation and dispute on the university's bulletin board, and he began a discussion about penance and repentance, the practice of indulgences, the authority of the Pope. These concerns later grew deeper as Luther saw the Roman Catholic system was based on a faulty view of authority, and it led to an erroneous view of how we are reconciled to God, an erroneous view of salvation itself. Well, one aspect of the Reformation that is not often highlighted is the government of the church. Scholars of the Reformation have told us, quote, this was the first time since the time of the apostles in which the idea of elders was used. Now, that might be a little bit of an overstatement, but the reality is that the Roman Catholic Church added on to the teaching of Scripture regarding elders and church leadership, and the, the church government became something that Scripture did not teach. And at the Reformation, we came back to this teaching of the elders and of the deacons, the government of the church. And tonight we see Peter instructing these early, small, weak churches in areas of government, in the area of the elders, instructing them how to lead the flock. Now there's an objection that maybe you're hearing in your own head. Say, well, this is directed to the elders. Why do I need to hear tonight? Well, I would encourage you, please don't check out yet. But Peter does include this in a letter to the entire church. Everyone was intended to hear this and to know this, to understand this. 
And you think today we teach children about civics, about our system of government as a nation. Whatever country and state and city you live in, you, you teach your children about this so they can be good citizens. And part of this is teaching us all to be good church members, to understand our government. But this does, I think, lead to specific application for every member of the church, whether an elder or not. So I encourage you to hang with us, and we'll circle around back to this at the end. We see simply Christ has given under-shepherds to his church to care for his flock. So these elders must be faithful. We'll look at three points this evening. The first is the elder's office. Second, the elder's motivation. And third, the elder's reward. So first, let's think of the elder's office. Well, this month alone at Redeemer, we have had two ordination services for teaching elders, and we've had a lot of discussion about elders, teaching elders, ministers, preachers, all these kinds of things. So we don't want to rehearse all of that. I trust you understand much of the background of our own church government. But I want to point out a number of things, make a number of observations about Peter's mentioning and bringing up the idea of the elder, the office of the elder. In verse 1, he begins with the word, so. So I exhort. Because of what had happened before, as discussion previously, so now he exhorts the elders. If you remember, what came before were the sufferings and the trials that will befall the church. And it leads Peter to a discussion of the leaders who will help lead the church through those trials and difficulties. The leaders will be important for guiding and leading the church through difficult times that are ahead. So it's important for elders to know what is coming and to be ready for them to help lead Christ's flock. I think it's also interesting right off the bat, he says, I exhort the elders among you. He's assuming the existence of this leadership structure. He doesn't argue for it. He doesn't command him to appoint elders as he does to Timothy elsewhere. He's assuming this leadership structure is there. The office of elder, we could see maybe has roots going all the way back to the Old Testament. We can see the elders were, were a part of leading the nation of Israel. And this continued even through into the early church where Peter and Paul particularly speak of this and say this is God's ordained way of leading the flock, leading his church, is through these elders. He says to exhort, he exhorts the elders among you. The elders who are among these churches, the elders who are scattered, and these are elders who either arise out of the congregation, like our ruling elders who are members of the congregation. These elders arise out and and help lead from among. Or like our teaching elders, they come to do a particular task in the church. These elders are among the flock. They're 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 not offering edicts from on high. They're not removed to another province. They are here on the ground with the flock, with the people. This is very important for how the shepherd operates. They live alongside and with the flock. Another point uh, that is is important is Peter calls himself a fellow elder or a co-elder with all of these other elders, at all these other congregations throughout all this area of Asia Minor. He calls himself a fellow elder. Now, if we go back to chapter 1 of 1 Peter, Peter starts off the the book saying, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. But here now he says, I'm an elder. I think what this means, as we understand this in light of all of Scripture's teaching, the office of apostle was essentially that of an elder plus 
God giving him special revelation to lead the church and to speak authoritatively before the canon of scripture was concluded. And so these apostles were giving instruction from God, but they were simply one elder who had one vote with all the other elders and leading the church. So elder Peter was not the Pope. Peter was not sitting atop a structure of all of the churches. Peter was a fellow elder, yet endowed by this, eagerly anticipating is the return of Christ. He even said it in verse one. He is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Speaking of Christ on the last day, the return of Christ, the chief shepherd appearing. Peter's ultimate hope is tied to this event and the elders yearn for it as well. We yearn for it to come because it means that the elders have completed their work. The chief shepherd has returned and we can all partake of this glory together as the one people of God. I think the faithful elder can take joy knowing that the master sees every act of his shepherding. And he will be recognized for his faithfulness on that last day. He will receive this unfading crown of glory. But the elders are not serving for this reward. That is not the motivation behind it. But on that day, they will receive this crown of glory. But their joy will ultimately be not in this reward itself, but in the approbation from, that comes from Christ when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is what every elder wants to hear. That is what every Christian wants to hear. And indeed, what every Christian will hear on that final day. We receive this crown and makes us wonder and ask some questions. What does this mean? Are there, are there different rewards and things like that? And I think there, there are, but I do think he's not making a, a statement of saying the elders are in a completely different category from other Christians. Because in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says that we all will receive these crowns of glory when Christ returns. And ultimately, when we see Christ face to face, when we behold him in glory, Revelation 4 says we will take all of our crowns and we will cast them back down at the feet of Jesus Christ as we worship and glorify him. So it's not about the crown. It's not about the reward. It's about the glory of Christ. I think we see an interesting angle on this when Paul calls the church in Philippi his joy and crown. So I think this, the, what, what Peter's getting at here and what Paul is getting at as well in Philippians is that this joy that the shepherd gets, that the elder gets, is to enjoy on that last day the sheep coming before Christ and saying, praise be to God, I had a small part in shepherding them. I had a small part in proclaiming the gospel to them. I had a small part in counseling and meeting and loving this sheep. And look, now they stand before their shepherd. What joy that will be to elders on that day. And I think that's really what Peter is driving at with this reward. The work is complete. Christ is with his people. And we all rejoice. There is a heavenly joy that does await all of us. And for now, the shepherd is keeping his eye on the master, eagerly awaiting the day of his return and enjoying the blessed state of eternal life that we will all share. So the elder's office, the elder's motivation, the elder's reward. So where does that leave us? What do we do with this? Well, for elders, I think it's rather clear. 
elders who are here, your call is a serious life and death matter. And that should make you tremble. And it should. It it should make you tremble. And it should make you dependent upon the chief shepherd for wisdom, understanding, and courage in your calling and life. I know this greatly humbles me. Greatly leads to great trembling. But I know we have a great shepherd whom we serve and who enables us to do these things. And for members, for those who are not elders, what does this passage do for you? Well, a couple things, four takeaways for you who are not elders. First, pray for your elders. You see a glimpse here of what the elder does, what the elder is called to. Pray for them in their endeavors. Pray for their families. Pray that they would effectively uh, wage war for the truth. Pray that they would resist the schemes of Satan. Pray for your elders first. Second, you are called as members of the church to hold them accountable. Ask them questions. Seek understanding. Don't go first to them blaming and, and acting like they're, they're wrong or you're, you know everything about the situation. First, go to them to gain understanding, to try to, to, to ask questions. When you have concerns, go to them and, and ask questions. We want to hear, we want to receive these questions and answer them. When there are problems, bring them to their attention. Bring them to the attention of other elders. We want to deal with these. This is important that we are held accountable. That when my preaching goes astray, when I do not preach the truth of the gospel, that you come to me and tell me, I need you. Every elder needs you to hold us accountable. And if it arises to this level, then you, we have, uh, we have uh, mechanisms in our government where you can formally file a complaint. You can formally ask for an investigation or charges to be brought. Please do this. This is important. Go read our book of church order that I love so dearly. It is important, our system. And you play a critical role in our system and bring a complaint. When you think the elders have all aired and we're all off the reservation, bring a complaint. This is important. We want to do it. We want to hear you out. And we want to be accountable to you. And then you can ask us to be accountable to other elders. That's what this complaint does. We need this from you as members of the church. So that's to hold your elders accountable. Three, you need to vote for elder candidates very carefully. The ordination to the office of elder and deacon is a lifetime thing. It is not something that you put on and put off at will. And so you need to consider these things very carefully. Consider the qualifications for the office very carefully. And when men come before you, nominees come before you for your vote, you must be able to say, yes, I can affirmatively say this man should be called to ministry for you to check that box that says yes. So you must know them. You must get to know our candidates. You must know their character. You need to evaluate, is this man an example for the flock? Do I want to be like him when I grow up? Or do I want my children to be like him when they grow up? Do they meet the biblical qualifications? And even more, are they the examples that our flock needs? This is a very serious matter. And you cannot vote yes for any man half-heartedly, or with reservation, 
or concern. Vote for elder candidates very carefully. And then fourth, rejoice for your elders insofar as they lead well. Give thanks to God insofar as they lead well. I do think good shepherding gives us a glimpse, a very small glimpse at our good shepherd who stands above all of his shepherds. We get to see through the leaders of the church, our chief shepherd, the love of our God for us. We get to see through them something of what, the, the, what Christ among us looks like. So insofar as we lead well, rejoice and give thanks to God. Because all of us, we do look to our good shepherd, the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, the one who has given us eternal life, the one who has brought us to the Father, and we all rejoice in this shepherd. And we can pray for faithfulness of his under-shepherds, as I ask you to do. And on that final day, we will all stand rejoicing and praising at this great salvation that he has given us all for eternity. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at